Welcome to Churches Planting Churches, a podcast on the theology and practice of church planting. I'm your host, Tony Morita. The Word of God is precious. It's sweeter than honey and more to be desired than gold. For in it we meet the living God. This is the Almighty God who not only spoke the universe into existence, He also, in His great love and mercy, came to us in Christ to save us from the judgment we deserve. And we're told in 2 Timothy that all Scripture is breathed out by God, that it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. So with the Bible, we can truly say that we lack nothing. In God's Word, we have all that we need. And this is good news for church planting pastors. Yes, planting a church has many challenges and complexities. We can expect to be tested at just about every turn. But we can also be confident that God in His Word will guide us into all truth. Further, God's Word is enough for the people we're called to shepherd. And as under-shepherds, we want to lead people to the Good Shepherd as He is found in the pages of the Bible. That's our ambition as church planting pastors. And yet, I also know that it's easy to let worldly thinking seep into our ministries. We can be enticed by the latest growth strategy, recent trends in psychology, the newest leadership fads, or any number of things. Because of these realities, we must fight to keep the Bible at the center of our lives and our churches. In other words, we must never let the Bible lose its functional authority in all that we say and do. This is easier said than done. So to help us think about keeping the Bible central in church planting, I'm excited to have Reuben Hunter with me on the podcast today. Reuben is pastor of Trinity West Church. He is married to Louisa and they have four children. Ruben, welcome to the podcast. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. So uh, I've just heard a lot of good stuff about you, your ministry. Um, we're going to keep it simple on this podcast. We're just going to talk about the Bible. And I'm assuming you use the Bible. Uh, you, you, you think highly of the Bible. So we'll see. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about uh, yourself? Where, where did you grow up? How did you come to faith? Yeah, I grew up in Belfast in Northern Ireland, um, not far from where our brother Lucas Parks is yeah. ministering, other side of town. I grew up in a non-Christian home, self-consciously non-Christian. My parents had rejected the nominal Christianity of their upbringing. Uh, growing up in Northern Ireland, the church was very much a part of the culture and people went to church whether they believed or not. My parents were children of the 60s. They came to university in Belfast and uh, threw off that church attendance. And uh, so I grew up in a very loving home, very happy home, great fun, uh, but no... Uh, interest in Christianity, no exposure to the gospel or to church in any way. And so uh, I was converted in my early 20s. That started, the process of that started with my father dying very suddenly uh, when he was 52. And it wasn't that I, I kind of thought, we've had this great crisis and I need someone to help me. You know, my father's gone, I need a father kind of thing. But what it did was it, it caused me to ask questions that I probably should have asked as a teenager, questions about life, questions about uh, the universe and who are we and who made us and how do we get here or whatever it might have been. And what I discovered was in the midst of my grief that my notional atheism didn't explain uh, life as I knew it, intellectually and emotionally. What I was really working off as a way of living life couldn't bear the weight of my human experience. And so I got interested in questions about how we're here and the God question kind of came my way and um, I 
I kind of began this journey of exploring. Now, the other, the, this was a kind of intellectual thing. The other thing that was going on was that because my dad had died, I'd inherited some money, which meant I was able to buy a house. I had my own car. I had a job. I had some of the things that the world was telling me should satisfy me. And yet I was very dissatisfied. I was restless. I was discontent. And really the short story is over, over the course of a couple of years through the kind providence of God, he brought me into the contact into contact with Christians. He brought me into uh, a church context where I heard the Bible being taught. And at some point, uh, when I was 23 or 24, I bowed the knee to Christ. Um, I made some professions of faith along the way. I was, I mean, it, was, it was one of those very sort of bumpy uh, journeys from definitely not believing to believing. And I don't know at what point I properly crossed the line, but that was, that was my story. Mm-hmm. Now walk us from that point then to uh, pastoral ministry? Yeah, well, so one of the things that struck me uh, from the very outset was how good the good news sounded. And I thought, how on earth did I get to this stage in my life and not be told this, not hear this amazing life-transforming news uh, about this man called Jesus. And so from the off, I really was quite a zealous evangelist. I was clueless, but I was very zealous. And so I tried to share the gospel with people as much as I possibly could. Um, and uh, gradually, I, I, the job that I was in when I was converted, I, I moved out of that in order to be able to kind of uh, be more part of a church uh, community. And um, I was kind of trying to evangelize people. I was doing Bible study with other men and things like that. And just my desire for that was growing and growing and growing. And um, my last job in the real world before I transitioned to uh, ministry was uh, I was an estate agent. I sold property. And uh, when I tell people that, they think, you know, whoa, goodness, how, how is that possible? Possible That's poacher to turn gamekeeper kind of thing. But uh, what I really enjoyed the job, but I was increasingly just finding that my job was being fit around me trying to do ministry rather than the other way around. And so I pursued some uh, training. I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I moved to London to go to a Bible training course there. And, uh, you know, when you you probably know what I mean when I say you start to do some training, you realize how little you know. And so you start and you get on this. Well, you, 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 you're still going and you're, you have a PhD, right? Yeah, great. So it's, um, it's one of those things that just kind of went and went. And uh, I got involved in church work then, I suppose, about 17 years ago uh, with, with some training. You know, I was training along the way, went to seminary and I was ordained as a pastor 11 years ago this year. So. Mm. Wow. So tell me about some of your early influences. You have a long line of great expositors, right, in in, uh, the UK. Um, Who were some of the shaping influences on you? Um, I knew that I needed some theological training, and I called a friend of mine who, who had a friend who was at a theological college seminary. And I said, could you ask him what the best seminary in the world is? You know, because I, I, I just, you know, I'm a single guy. I want to go and get the best possible training I can. And uh, he advised me about a particular college. And he said, you know, these are the uh, these are the guys you need to talk to. And I called the director of studies of this college. And uh, he said to me, tell me what books you're reading. And I said, well, you know, I, um, uh, whew, uh, books. <laughs> and uh I, I, you know, couldn't come up with any witty theological titles at all. In fact, uh, you know, I can't even remember. What's so amazing about Grace by Max Licato might have been the most, or no, Philip Yancey, Philip might have been the most uh, 
theologically witty uh, offering and he, he, this guy was shocked uh, and he said you need to read Knowing God by J.I. Packer and you need to read um, John Calvin and you need to read there was somebody else that he told me to read I can't remember who but I went and I bought Packer and I thought oh right this is going to be a steep hill <laughs> and uh, and I, I began at that point then to become the Lord gave me a desire for reading really uh, at that point because I hadn't been academic at all. I was a waster. I was I was in the sport and just messing around when I was young. And so when I was converted, I really, that was when a passion for reading was, was birthed. And so I started with Packer. I, I read lots. I, I, it took, well, it was when everybody did that reading plan through Calvin's Institutes on 500 years or whatever. That was when I read it all. But I read large chunks of Calvin before that. Um, other big influences were early on in that process, I, I met Mark Dever, Capitol Hill Baptist Church. He was at a conference in Northern Ireland that I'd gone back to um, in the summer. And he said, you should come and do an internship at my church. And I said, uh, okay. And uh, I went over there and did uh, six months with, with him. And uh, they just get you reading, um, you know, Charles Bridges on the Christian ministry. Just would break a young man down, you know. I, I am not fit for this task. And that, that was a great experience to read that and to be completely humbled and, and brought low by the, the, the thought of what was going to be involved in, in ministry. And um, we read, I think you read something like 30 books uh, over the course of that, that time and just uh, uh, very helpful. Uh, other pastors that were influential, uh, Liam Golliger, who's now at 10th Presbyterian in Philadelphia. He was the pastor of a church in London that I came to when I went to do this Bible training course. And uh, he he kind of helped me uh, understand Reformed theology. I think I had the instincts and, and some of those uh, uh, frameworks in place just through reading the scriptures and some of the other books I'd read, but he helped flesh that out for me and help me to understand it so he was quite influential then and i suppose uh when i when i my first job when i was ordained um was in a a church in st albans just north of london the pastor there was uh, a chap called greg strain and uh, he taught me a huge amount about what pastoral ministry looked like um he's a very faithful guy who um you know, hasn't written any books or anything like that, but he's just he's just an excellent pastor, and he he taught me lots and lots of really good stuff. So he's a big influence. Give us a little feel for what it's like to pastor in West London. What challenges do you guys face there? Yeah, pa I think pastoring in London, West London, is like pastoring in any big, diverse global city. It's multi everything, multi ethnic, multicultural, multi economic, multi-class, multi, yeah, whatever, whatever um, diversity you want to, you want to, whatever metric of diversity you want to kind of think of, it's there. And that's exciting and energizing and it brings with it a breadth of opportunities, but uh, it also brings the challenges that cities uh, bring. Um, cities in the West at the minute typically are hostile to the gospel. Secularism is a big thing. Um, uh, I think we have a liberal establishment, you know, so there is a state church that has, for the most part, given up the gospel. Uh, there, there is a, a, a very, so the, the culture makers, that is the, the, uh, the media, they're socially liberal. The, the, the people that inform the thoughts of 
the city, uh, despise the gospel, I suppose. Um, and then, of course, Islam is on the rise, uh, and we have a very big Islamic population in our neighbourhood. Um, I mean, my neighbourhood, I think, is like a microcosm of London as a whole. It has everything in this melting pot, and it's a, uh, you know, it's a tough place, uh, but it's also exciting, and there there are good opportunities. Um, I think these are hard days for the gospel uh, in the West. Um, uh, well, one other thing, actually, that I think is uh, actually something of a challenge in a city like London is uh, London's a cool city and so people come there but because it's cool that there are people that want we we have a because because there are a lot of people we have a predominance also of false gospels so there are churches that purport to be churches um, but they teach a false gospel and actually they gain a bit of momentum and therefore that's a challenge when you're trying to do uh, gospel ministry in, in a context like that. So as I say, the, these are hard days, but I suppose then it's just a case of being realistic about that. Um, um, I don't. I, I think we can't be pessimistic. It's it's stupid to say let's go to the city and change the world, you know. Uh, but at the same time, uh, there's got to be realism. So, but at the same time, just thinking, you know, oh, the cities are gone. That's it. Forget it. You know, it's uh, or, or you know, people saying, oh, this is the day of small things. There's not much. Um, there's not much happening. I'm convinced that most of anything gospel focused that's going to be lasting uh, will be somewhat small and unimpressive in a city like London from a worldly perspective. That is at the minute, uh, but that's okay. And I, I think we just want people to to have a long view. Um, I suppose, again, that highlights another challenge. The long view means that people need to stay and people typically come to the city, stay for a bit and then go. It's a hard place to go. And so uh, giving people a vision for the gospel for the long haul um, is something that uh, is a bit of a challenge and, and calling people to embrace the sort of sacrifices that uh, you need to make in order to stay, that's often a hard sell. So realism, but not pessimism. Uh, Keep reminding people that Antioch was uh, was a very hostile context for the gospel, and yet the gospel flourished there. And we believe, don't we, that um, we have a promise that the earth will one day be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And we we've just got to do our bit now while we can. In the end, the church will triumph; the gates of hell won't, etc. You know. So. Amen. Amen. Uh, why keep the Bible central in church planting? Uh, talk to us. Uh, talk to church planters out there. Um, why is it necessary to have um, a good understanding of ecclesiology, the church, um, if you want to be a church planter? I mean, isn't it, isn't it really about just sort of being a cutting edge, uh, you know, extroverted personality that can gather people? Um, what's the big deal about the Bible and church planting? Uh, well, at one level, it's simply because it's God's revealed word for all of life and for ministry. The big point about that famous verse in 2 Timothy 3, all scripture is breathed out by God, we think, oh, that's uh, that's a, a text about the inspiration of the scriptures, but he says, and is sufficient, uh, and is uh, profitable. That's right, he's talking about its sufficiency, uh, and uh, therefore we need to have the sufficient word of God at the center of things. It's how God makes himself known, it's how his power for salvation is revealed. Um, Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word. Uh, 
that much is obvious. I think the key question, I think, is what does it actually look like to have the Bible at the center of church life? Um, we talk about being gospel-centered. We talk about being Bible-centered. But what do we really mean by that? Um, and I think, I think we've got to recover a high view of the Bible for every aspect of how the church is ordered. Um, the, the Westminster Divines, and they talked about the regulative principle of worship, the idea that the, the Bible was the, the regular, the rule for how the church ordered her worship services. But I think also it applies to how we order our church, you know, and, and um, there are things that the Bible speaks about and the Bible uh, places great importance on, uh, but they aren't things that you have to believe for salvation. And so typically we say, well, it's not a primary issue, therefore it doesn't matter. Well, in actual fact, secondary issues, and if you want to say even tertiary issues that are very clear in the Bible, need to govern the way we do what we do in church life. So all of that. That's good. It's good. Uh, let's talk preaching for a second. Uh, week in, week out exposition. Uh, what, what's that look like in your ministry? Um, what are you preaching right now through a book of the Bible? Uh, we typically uh, go through books of the Bible. Once or twice a year, I'll preach a thematic sermon, but a, a thematic series. Um, but those thematic sermons will expound a passage on, on that theme. Um, and uh, this year, we just finished a short series in 2 Timothy and uh, a longer series in the book of Hebrews. Um, and uh, although the church don't know this yet, Lord willing, when I return from my sabbatical, we will embark on a longer series in Leviticus. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So I, I didn't know what Hebrews was about. So I decided the way to do that is to, is to preach it. I don't know what Leviticus is about. And so I'm going to start uh, with that as That's well. That's very interesting. I'm doing the same thing right now. I decided my weakest genres are... Um, prophetic, this is no surprise, uh, apocalyptic, <laughs> right, um, and wisdom. Right. So right now I'm preaching through the 12 minor prophets, a sermon a week on the 12. Um, and my plan, tentative, very, very tentatively, is to do wisdom next year, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, and then after my sabbatic next summer right. to do Revelation. Oh, good for you. So we'll see. We'll see. I uh, think I'll get to Revelation uh, <laughs> before I retire. <laughs> <laughs> How... Um, in a transient city like London, how does that factor into your planning of preaching? Do you fear you get folks for a year or two? Will they have Leviticus for two straight years? No. Uh, is there? Do you do you try to move through uh, your series rather quick? Does your context impact how long you go? Um, that's a great question, and I actually haven't thought about the kind of two to three year thing as much as I should have done. Interestingly, I've thought about that in other aspects of church life, uh, membership courses and things like that, and how we think about integrating people into church life. But in terms of my preaching series, I basically think if we do sort of eight to 12 weeks in a row, that's a lot. And so I'll typically look at the way the book breaks up and let's say that's there's eight sermons in that or there's six in that or there's 10 in that or whatever. But like I did um, 70 something sermons in uh, Luke when we started the church. Uh, but that took four years or something like that um, because just try to break it up a bit. And so let's say we're in Luke and I've done 
this this chunk, whatever you know, whatever way I've sort of thought that the book hangs together, I'll have thought about this at a macro level. You know what it's like. So I'll say, okay, there's there's a block of there's a block of potentially fifteen sermons. I go, well, I don't want to do fifteen in a row, so I'm going to drop that back. Can we get that? Okay, okay. And then maybe I can't think that I've done more than twelve, and I go. So it would only be for a few months, and then I would take something else. So we we did Ecclesiastes, we did some in the Psalms, we did um, uh, Ruth, um, yeah, different different books. It's uh, good to hear you did Ecclesiastes. I'll be I'll be finding that one. Those sermons will be of no use. To <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in the kindness of God, they were you know. Faithful and people probably were helped back in the day, but if you're actually thinking about getting the grips of the book, it's probably a bit, <laughs> a bit thin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the the Bible is obviously central in uh, church planting as we think about uh, leading our churches, uh, forming a healthy ecclesiology. It's central in our preaching as we uh, shepherd the flock of God. Well, you know, one of the things about church planting, I think, that gets lost sometimes in all the uh, missional, with the missional focus and the complexity and innovation required in, in a lot of uh, ways in church planting is just uh, understanding what a church is, mm -hmm. right? And if, I mean, it seems very obvious. If you're going to plant a church, you should know what it is. Um, but often it, it seems like uh, ecclesiology is separated from the discussions about uh, church planting uh, even though that window of time uh, of the of, of the church that's very very unique in the history of the church i'm speaking of the first year or whatever where you're trying to gather people uh, form a church etc you know that can look a number of different ways i think but at some point you know you've you're 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 leading an actual congregation and you've got to think through membership you've got to think through polity you've got to and so you want to do all this stuff on the front end right to have uh, a working understanding of of uh, how a church is uh, is uh, operates uh, and I think one of the one of the particular temptations uh, in church planting and ministry in general is to just gravitate to that which works. It's a very pragmatic. Uh, even guys who start off very convictionally driven get out into the real world of ministry and they find that sometimes they're not ready for the long haul that you described. And so they're, they're looking for instant success and they're. Uh, open to compromising certain positions uh, in order to see their church grow, right? Um, so I, I wonder if you could just encourage church planters in that. You know, you've been at it now, you say, for 11 years at Trinity. Is uh, that right? I was ordained 11 years ago. We moved to this community to plant the church eight years ago, last month, and the church is six and a half years old. It took us 18 months to be 18 in, months. That, in that Perfect. first phase. Perfect. So talk about just your own your own journey and what it what what it what it takes to just yeah. uh hold those convictions mm -hmm. about your theology because i yeah, i'm i'm in london you've got to be there's so many cultural mm. so much cultural opposition like everywhere in the world but in a major city uh, you've got agendas political agendas social agendas and here you are trying to be the bible guy <laughs> and you can also see churches uh growing who are not uh being biblically faithful yeah. so what's it been like in your own life yeah um it's worth saying that there are there is lots of um good things happening in london in terms of churches being planted and good people doing good work um but uh yeah i think 
you know what, Ruth, it's interesting you talk about pragmatism. You're describing that as doing what works. They want to be a success. And I think uh, we need to recalibrate what success is and therefore uh, reassess what it is we want to work. You know, so we're, we're doing what works in order to gather a crowd. Um, and that's not necessarily what um, we need to do. We need... Um, we need to allow, we need to define success as faithfulness to the scriptures, faithfulness to what God has called us to be as a pastor and, uh, and a church, um, and, and to kind of trust him with the growth. Now, I get that there is a, there is a pressure. That 18 months for me was miserable, uh, because I mean, I, yeah, I nearly, uh, I nearly gave, gave everything up, including my marriage and everything else. Like I just, it was, the Lord brought us so clearly into that setting and it was like he just disappeared. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the people that said they were going to come and join us didn't. And, um, you know, we, we, uh, we were on a very different track from the, from the start. So, uh, but I look back on that now and, and see that that was the Lord preparing me and working in me and all of that uh, in healthy ways. But, um I think I think it's important that when you when you set out the plan to church that you recognize that the Bible tells us what a church is. The Bible tells us how a church should be led. The Bible tells us what a church should do, you know, what our mission should be. So w what a church is, Matthew 16, Matthew 18, uh, how a church should be led, um, 1 Timothy 3, the, the pastorals in general, um, what a church should do, Matthew 28, very clear mission there, what responsibilities the church has, you know, what, what uh, you know, have a clear idea that church discipline is a thing, you know, I mean, the idea in that first phase where um, uh, you're trying to, you're just trying to get people to come and be part of things that, that you're, you've got, kind of a clear idea in place of what uh, a body of the Lord's people are called to be. And therefore, you don't just take anybody, you know, you can't. So you need to be clear that this person understands the gospel before they are drawn into the membership of this new church. Before, before you launch publicly, you need to know who the church is, you know. Um, and the Bible tells us what the, what um, what's involved in that. And I think, I think in order to in order to avoid pragmatism, you need to realize um, that that the Bible tells you what these things are, uh, or it speaks clearly to these things, and then you settle in your own mind what the Bible's answer to those is. You know, there are different denominations, there are different people have different views on some of these these issues, but you settle in your own mind what those are, and then implement those convictions, um, and. You know, I think one of the one of the things that I struggled with, and one of the things that I think others uh, struggle with, is that um, we uh, kind of think that it's an A plus B plus C equals success, and actually, we need to, as we call our people to live the Christian life by faith, we need to also lead our churches by faith and trust the Lord and actually really trust them. You know. Mm -hmm. Um, that's good. That's good. You've already touched on this a little bit, but last question. A lot of young guys, aspiring pastors, planters listen to the podcast. How would you encourage them? You got to encourage your old self before you, uh, before you, what would you, what would you want to tell uh, that guy? 
Well, I think I'd, I'd say that get on and pursue planting a church, but do it in the in the the right healthy context. So do it in the in relationship with another church, uh, in partnership with a really good church planting organization. Like, for example, say, um, hang on, uh, there's Acts Twenty Nine. Yeah, they they're a good good group, and um, you know, a young guy just to take their time and be accountable and be kind of tested and trained and mentored and equipped. But when it comes to uh, these things, these these things to do with their convictions about the Bible, settle now in their heart and in their mind that whatever happens in the culture, whatever way the culture goes, whatever uh, pressure is on or not, that what our neighborhoods and our communities need above all else and what will make deep disciples is God's word at the center of church life, at the center of their ministry. If people will meet the living God, if they'll grow in the living God, our ministry must be shackled to the truth of the gospel, shackled to the scriptures. And young guys need to settle that conviction um, as early as possible and just mm -hmm. don't budge. And go, yeah, that's right, that's right. Thank you for your time, brother, talking about the, uh, the word of truth. Uh, what a privilege it is to be able to uh, preach the uh, bottomless word of God. Uh, that's true that's the for sure unsearchable riches of christ yeah so uh, thanks for being on the podcast if listeners Pleasure. do want to listen to your sermons even though they're not any good uh where would they find those sermons uh imagoday.org <laughs> i think oh, that's where i'd go uh trinity-west.org something on there i'm sure cool i hope to visit one day it'd be great to have you come and preach <laughs> thanks brother thanks Timmy. <laughs>